Hello and welcome to the PK Soccer Youth Coaching Podcast with me, Paul Kelshaw. During this time, I will be discussing many topics surrounding the youth game and what people like myself are doing to improve the standards of coaching, player development, spectator understanding and personal growth, especially here in the US. I'll be giving my opinion as well as talking to friends, colleagues, past and present, who have had a positive impact on my own personal coaching development but whom I also believe are having a positive impact in the game today. Today I am joined by Coach Yas. Coach Yas is a UEFA A-licensed coach and founder of the Coaches Network. Yas is also working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching, Physical Education Teaching and Coaching at St Mary's University in Twickenham. In today's episode, we talk about Coach Yas's introduction into coaching and his progression through the FA and UEFA coaching licences. We also talk about the Coaches Network brand, especially the Coaches Network podcast. Hi, yes, thank you for joining me this morning. How are you doing? I'm all good, thanks, Paul. And yourself? I'm doing brilliant. Well, actually, it's, it's afternoon for you. I've so many podcasts this year in different time zones, um, but it's, uh, it's great to finally get a chance to talk to you. And first, if you could just give us a brief explanation of how you got involved in football. I think the listeners would be be interested in, mm. in like what the football scene was like for you in, in the 90s and 2000s in London. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, growing up, you know, I wasn't really, uh, I guess I played football just like most kids, um, you know, on the streets, in the, you know, the local parks and whatnot with my mates. Um, but growing up, you know, I, I never really played in any teams, to be honest with you, Paul. Uh, probably got to about 15, 16, when I actually just finally started playing in a team. Um or there or thereabouts anyway. Um, so I've always had a passion for football, you know, growing up, probably similar to yourself and many of your listeners, uh, was addicted to championship manager, football manager. Um, you know, I was a massive Man United fan growing up, I'm probably not much of a, a keen follower nowadays, um, just because of personal circumstances. And I guess, you know, it's not a great team to follow anymore, is it? <laughs> but um, no, I think I've kind of, you know, my involvement in football, I can initially started off as a passion, as a fan, um, and then I guess, you know, in short, if I go back to my school days, um, I kind of, you know, I would consider myself to be quite bright, but I never really took school seriously. Uh, so I maybe probably didn't get the grades I probably could have. Um, certainly not the ones I was predicted to get anyway. Um, left school, not really knowing which direction I wanted to go in, but I just knew I didn't really want to be stuck in a classroom or, you know, any of that sort of stuff. So I kind of went into college, pursued maybe the health and fitness industry a little bit went into like personal training and stuff like that. And I guess got towards the back end of college, again, still knew I wanted to be active, involved in some sort of sporting activities, I guess. Um, I kind of got to a point at the end of college, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do, but so I, you know, I finished college. Um, you know, unfortunately for me, I've kind of, or fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, I fell into the wrong crowd a little bit, to be honest. Um, got myself into a little bit of trouble. Uh, ended up with some convictions and off the back of that I kind of had to you know, take a step back and take, ask myself some questions about what I was going to do and where I was going to end up in my life and I was at that point there where I kind of you know I kind of let, let back on my passion for football a little bit whereas you know growing up I'd always like I said played football been around whilst I hadn't played in many teams I'd always been around the game and I knew a lot of people that did work in the coaching world a little bit and has always kind of suggested to me, well, why don't you go and do your level one, go and get you know get involved in coaching, and you know, it can be you know you like football, and it was just a natural progression in that respect. 
Um, so I kind of, off the back of falling into the bad crowd and, you know, going through what I went through, I ended up deciding I'm going to go and take my level one. So we're looking at around maybe 2000 and I want to say 2010-ish. Um, and I kind of haven't looked back since. Um, so got involved in coaching within, you know, and I kind of just, I was hooked. I was hooked, you know, within within weeks. I was quite fortunate that within a couple of weeks of me finishing that level one, I managed to find a local grassroots boys side who gave me an opportunity and um, they, you know, I, you know, I'll thank them forever for that opportunity because it was my first real step into coaching and I was given an opportunity where I think I was quite fortunate in that I was able to lead a team from the get-go. I, I wasn't necessarily going in and as assistant. I think being as enthusiastic, as passionate as I was at the time, I think it was perfect for me, you know, working with a group of under 14 boys at the time. And the rest is history, man. I went from doing a level one within a matter of weeks. That's when the, you know, in England, they released um, the FA Youth Awards. Um, so age-specific qualifications kind of just really target, you know, working with younger players, uh, which I guess to some extent, traditional pathway wasn't really focused around specifically working with youth players. It was more just a generic football coaching qualification. Yeah, when um, I took my... I did my level two, 2001, 2000, yeah, 2001, 2002, mm. while I was at college in England. And it was really based off of 6v6. It really seemed like it was designed maybe 14 to 16 year olds. There was no youth modules. So uh, following it from a distance, I've seen how, how much that the FA's licenses have evolved and have changed and are some of the most modern in the world but it's also when you talk about there about just playing playing football in the park in the streets maybe at school not on a set team that that isn't uncommon it may be coming a little less uncommon now but that's how most people in the 90s early 2000s played it wasn't mm. got working parents and it's not possible to to travel around and, and be on a team. And then there's also this commitment and finance involved. So people seem to to miss that, that there's you can mm. still be involved in the game just from, from playing there. And even like you said, just watching the game on, on TV or even playing a game, you can still you can still pick things up from from playing those games, whether it's a FIFA or a football manager, championship manager. Obviously, nothing I'll ever take from actually stepping foot on the grass, but there's so many different ways that the modern coach has to to really expose himself to the game. So that's, mm. I think that's good for listeners to hear that it's not just, oh yeah, I was in an academy when I was six years old and, and went from there. It's, so that's, that's a, an interesting point to make. So from there, you said you got into coaching with, through the FA level one. And I also like that idea that just reaching out to a team, so many seems to be a reoccurring thing within the, the coaches I interview. They either picked up the phone or they knocked on someone's door and mm. people would be surprised. You just have to ask. And she, she, it, what, I think you make a great point there. You know, certainly if anything that I've picked up over, you know, over my journey as a coach, but more specifically, even in the last 12 months doing my podcast, um, it's literally just asking, you know, if, the, if life has taught me anything, if you don't ask, you don't get. Um, and the worst that's going to happen is you're going to get a no and nothing's really changed, to be honest. 
nothing's really changed. If anything, you've probably become a bit more clear in, in direction which you need to go in next. Uh, so I think asking the question is always a good, a good thing. And you know, coming back to the start of that journey, I was, I've always been one that's not afraid to ask. Um, you know, if I've got something on my mind, I'll say it. If I've got a question I want to, uh, I, I want to know the answer to, I'll ask it. Um, so, you know, I've always been quite forthcoming in, in that respect. And I think, you know, uh, uh, if anything, you know, coaches should be more, I guess, sort of aggressive with their, with their intention and, their, and, and what they're looking to get out of the situation. And the best way to do that is asking questions. I think it all, that comes down to confidence as well. I think as, as well, you touched on there that you maybe had a bit of a troubling, troubling part of your past, but I'm sure you weren't, um, weren't afraid to, like, give your opinion or that, that might have been uh, not worked out so well for you previously, but as, as a coach, or you can't can't hide. If you need to talk to that parent, you need to um, talk to that other coach, or even mm. talking to play. You've got to have difficult conversations as players. If you otherwise, it's just going to snowball, and people start talking to, behind your back. And you got to like oh. if you if everything's up front. And you're honest. I think people in today's world will actually have more respect for you. Hundred percent, and I'll come back to that first experience I had when I was going into youth football, and I guess having the opportunity to run a team alone um, as my first experience was, you know, was almost a, it was, it was a, I guess it was a tough experience to start with. But I learned so much in that time, and that like you talked about, you know, dealing with the parents directly, you know, speaking to players, and uh, what I found, you know, just to kind of give a bit more context, and I was working with an under fourteen side, but there was three age groups three under 14 sides in that club so it was like an a b and a c team sort of thing and started with the c team but what actually ended up happening was a lot of the players were enjoying the training that i was delivering you had players from the b team potentially even the a team more so from the b team because the a team were in higher division looking over all the time oh, we want to be involved over there we want to be involved over there sort of thing and you know and then you start to look you see all the different politics and the egos that are involved in the game um and you know, let's you know, can't beat beat around the bush about it. It is in a very egotistical industry. Um, we all want to feel like we, we know we're doing well. We, we we know what we're talking about. But at times, you know, sometimes we have to be willing to take a step back as well. And, you know, what? actually, maybe I haven't got the best answers right now. I can look elsewhere, and it doesn't matter whether the person's got less or more time working in the game as me. They've just got a different idea, and it might be more appropriate at this moment in time. So you know, I think through that experience there, that taught me that you can learn off some, you can learn something off everyone. Um, as long as you, as long as your intention is to want to learn, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So from from there, then you progress to doing youth modules and the FA level two. This is something the youth modules I'm not so familiar with. Can you talk a little bit about your experience? Yeah, so youth modules came into play around about I think it was just around 2010. I think they kind of coincided with uh, what we had over here as the FA Licensed Coaches Club. Um, which is basically, I guess, almost a tool that was used by the FA in, 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 a, in a form of a membership type package where they could kind of keep, where you can kind of keep track of your qualification to make sure everything that you're doing is in date. Um, and that kind of coincided with the new youth awards. So the youth awards came out around that sort of time as well. And the idea was with, where the traditional coaching path, where you're level one, you're two, you're three, you're, and you're level four, um, was very much technical and tactical focused. Um, these were more, you know, I guess the first real step in terms of bringing in the holistic approach to development in the coach education pathway. 
Um, so, you know, obviously, you probably, you know, I'm sure you've come across that you know, the four corner model that the FA use. Um, but there wasn't, even in the early days when it was brought in, from what I can remember anyway, there wasn't really much emphasis around the other stuff. It was more just, yeah, we've got the physical corner, we've got the social corner, we've got the psychological corner, something to think about rather than let's actually work within those areas, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, it does. I think from, obviously, it's a number of years now since I've done FA level two. And although they were great coaches and experienced coaches and experienced former players, the information that kind of that th the theory side probably was nowhere near what it is now. It was all so it. The fact that you're um, you're able to to tell me this now, of it, it's it stuck. So whoever taught you must have done a done a good job because it's something that you've you've remembered it's something that you're able to share so it seems were you then still working with the same team or did yeah, you progress so onto some other coaching yes yeah, so just kind of paint a bigger picture so that first season you know i did my level one probably august 2010 then i started coaching a couple of weeks later and that first season i managed to get through uh the mod one of the youth award the module two of the youth award and i complete my level two as well by it's all within like a 12 to 8 a 12 to 15 month window um, so it was quite fast-paced in that respect in, in terms of my journey and through the qualifications then. Um, I was finishing my level two and I've always been someone who, if I know what the next level looks like, then I know which direction I'm going and I can start putting the work in from now. So, you know, quite often coaches and coach educators will, will say, oh, well, don't rush through the qualifications. And I didn't necessarily see it as a rushing through the qualifications because I felt like I'd as you touched on there, and I, I really kind of grounded that knowledge, absorbed that knowledge, and I was I was implementing it, but I also wanted to know right whilst I'm implementing this, what's next? Um, so I kind of I kind of just kept me pushing on. So first, you know, like I said, twelve to fifteen months I've done the level one, module one of the youth award, module two of the youth award, and level two, and then I kind of stumbled into this this I guess this zone, this area where I was thinking to myself, right, okay. I'm going around, I'm watching all these different coaches work and I'm looking at all these different things, but actually what's one thing that, that's going to separate me? And I guess the one thing at that point I noticed was no one knows how to work with the guy over there. And that guy over there is the guy between the goal. No one knows how to work with that goalkeeper. Because whenever I see a session, I always see is that goalkeeper just being a body in the session and never actually getting any, I guess, structured outcomes from it. It was if if they were getting developed, it was by chance. It was no, it was never intentional and deliberate. So I from you know, I kind of set myself a goal at that point to say, right, the next step for me, uh, I want to get to a point where I can design sessions that would equally affect the outfield players and the goalkeeper. That was kind of my first real in uh, you know real I guess target to kind of hit. Um, so I went and did my goalkeeper level two. Now at the time, the goalkeeper level two was delivered in a way where it actually lent itself really well into the B license because of the types of practices that they were going through and, and delivering and kind of come back to something you said earlier in that uh, the coach education pathway, you know, it was very much tutor led, which meant there was a lot of information being offloaded onto us, which I felt would consider myself quite fortunate to kind of be on the receiving end of. However, what it meant was also is that you had to deliver in a certain way to be, I guess, deemed competent um now with the introduction of the youth awards where it's much more right we're gonna you know we're gonna look at your i want you to work with your players how would you work with your players what does that environment look like for you 
Whereas, you know, you talk there about you doing your level two a few years back and it was 6v6, you know, in the short space between you doing yours and me doing mine, mine went from, you know, before I started mine, I heard about all the 6v6 stuff. But when I came out to do mine, mine was, you know, same format essentially, but they moved it to a 4v4. Um, and obviously as the years have gone on, it, it's, it's progressed in different ways. Um, so that was kind of the, the immediate journey. So at the end of that first season, um, was at the stage where, like I said, they started, the ego started getting involved. The B team coach at that team was a bit, was getting a bit frustrated because some of his players were trying to come over to my squad and he didn't like that because we were the C team and he was the B team. It's like, all right, well, we're all part of the same club here. I don't really care what team you're in. Um, and it's, it got to a point where I thought, Do you know what, it's not quite going to work. But a few of the A team players um, that were really good and they were looking to kind of move on to maybe go into district and maybe potentially some of the moving into academy football. Um, and I think the A-team coach at the time was wanted, wanted to step away. Uh, so I guess what essentially ended up happening is the club disbanded because that, that was kind of the last set of age groups they had at the club. Um, and then throughout that season, I kind of I bumped into one of the coaches that used to coach me at another team. Um, never knew that I was coaching, but kind of got to chat in. He was like, oh, why don't you come over? And I was like, yeah, I'll let you know. It was kind of just like a passing comment at the time, really. But then towards the back end of the season, I thought, all right, let me let me give him a call and see how that works. And um, one of the things I was really conscious about, was regardless of where I was going to end up, was I wanted to be in an environment where I felt like I had a bit of ownership around what I was going to do um, and not be told how to work. And I'm open to listening to ideas and views and opinions, but I didn't want to be dictated to at that point. And I think that's definitely something that's helped me in my journey massively. Um, so off the back of that, moved to another team. Um I told the players I was working with at the time, this is what I'm going to do. I'm leaving at the end of the season. And basically what had happened was, is I developed some close relationships with some of the players um, with their parents. And I kind of took the core of the group I had and brought them with me. Um, mainly because I thought I couldn't bring the whole group across because I don't think they were all, I don't think they were all playing at the, at the same level. Um, okay. So I was just honest with them and I said, look, some of you will be better off elsewhere because where I was going to go, we was going to be planning playing in a higher division. Um, and I didn't think it would be appropriate for their development to kind of step into that 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 level of uh, competition, shall we say. So the ones that I felt were capable, I brought them along with me. Uh, the new the new team, they, they helped recruit some of, and I, and I guess probably the best, the most enjoyable group I've ever had to work with was that. Um, so did that for a year. Alongside that, I was doing schools. Alongside that, I was doing a senior women's team, a senior men's team alongside that. So I was just immersing myself in it, really. Um, went and done the module three of the youth awards, so there's three modules. Um, and then I guess the past came back to bite me a little bit. So at the end of, and I touched earlier on this idea of the coaches, uh, licensed coaches club. Now, as part of the licensed coaches club that the FA had, um, anyone that had a, I guess, a, a CRB check or a DBS check as it's known now would have had to do it through the licensed coaches club prior to the licensed coaches club coming in you would have just done it whichever organisation or club you were working for so my club that I was working for knew about it but obviously that gets renewed every three years doesn't it licensed coaches club comes in comes around to me doing my first one with them and it flags up this person's got XYZ convictions on his on his back on his check club knew about it no problems but because the FA hadn't been I guess formally notified of it they said right we're going to put a, a permanent suspension in youth from youth football on, on this person until we until we can investigate what's happened 
So well, at that point, so go on. Yes, I was going to say, because there you had mentioned about coaching women's football and, and men's football, then you were doing your youth football. I was just, I was going to ask before you was just mentioned what you just said, that were you really looking for what kind of coaching best suited for you or were you really looking at having a taste of everything until you yeah. found like yeah. what you're at that stage, it was certainly about immersing myself in it and just getting any and every experience I could possibly get because um, it was, I guess, a bit of me about finding where do I feel like I feel most comfortable and where I can add most value. Um, I think at that stage, I was probably adding a little bit of value wherever I was going. However, um, and I'm, I'm sure you can kind of relate, the way the, the game and the world of coaching has kind of evolved over the last few years in particular, uh, everyone's starting to develop a bit of a niche whether that be working with younger players, whether you're working with older players, whether you're working, you know, over here, we're not, you know, if you look at the FA's model, for instance, they've got the in-possession coaches, out-possession coaches. So everyone's starting to find their own niche. And, you know, like I said, that kind of started with the initial part of, right, I want to get to a point where I can design sessions for goalkeepers and outfield players, but that we could both equally be affected. Um, so it was, I guess it was just searching for, you know, where am I going to get my niche? Um, and that was a key part for me. So I guess getting hit with that ban, this is now age, I think about, this is about two years into coach, two and a half years in. Um, so whilst I've been coaching for about 10 years, I've probably only been active for about seven. Um, but in that seven, I would consider myself to have added a lot of experience across those seven active years out of the 10 that I've been working. And yeah, really, I, know, I, was, so I said, you know what, you lot of coming back, you give me a ban for what reason I've already had to deal with all of this. I don't need to be dealing with it again. Um, so I went and I was twiddling my thumbs for a year. A year later, come back uh, and I'm saying to myself, right, I've got no idea where I'm going. I'm looking left, I'm looking right, what am I going to be doing? Um, and I ended up having, you know, I guess a, a question for myself. And it's like, well, what do I want to do? And the only thing I could, that I could I guess, come up with was actually, I, want, I miss coaching. I want to go back to coaching. So I started coaching again. Um, I said, right, I'm going to start coaching again. I was working and supporting with some uh, senior men's team at the time. Um, the club I was working for with the under 15s at the time, second club I moved into, they also had a senior men's side. So I started assisting with them a little bit. And off the back of that, I said, right, I'm going to appeal this whole band thing. Got it overturned. And I guess the rest was history, Paul. I mean, after that, I kind of, within a matter of months, moved into my UEFB license. Uh, so we're going, you know, if I'm thinking about years now, Within a matter of months, yeah, I got into the B license. So I'm probably looking at maybe back end of 2014 now. Well, then uh, when you you talk about that going from your B license, you have have a setback that you know progressing and climbing the ladder isn't it isn't always a, a straight line. Mm. Everyone's going to have some form of setback. So the fact that you've been able to to overcome this and I guess give yourself a little bit of whether it's um, thinking time, but then to be able to take that step to to still find a way to to impact the game and now to be able to put all that that setback to a side and and now to make to make it onto a an FA UEFA B that that's quite some achievement and that's you know probably shows some of the the character that you are like that you're able to like not give up that's a that might be a little bit of a basic cliche but but it is a thing like you've we briefly talked off air that 
gaining those FA qualifications there, it's still talked about here in the US that everybody wants that UEFA license to a even if they may may never coach it in Europe or the UK, but they yeah. it's like that's the top. So the fact that you've been you may have been at somewhat of a of a low point of your career to be able to to bounce back it's a really good thing. So now you're on your, your B license, you've kind of you're seeing this idea of involving of how you can involve goalkeepers in the session. So you're starting to using your words to find find your needs, find a way that you stand out. Uh, so how did the B license help you with that progression? Yeah, I think, you know, to touch on that, you know, there's a couple of things that first I want to take you back to the goalkeeping level too. Like I mentioned, it it it, it prepped me, although there was a massive gap in between it, what I, you know, to kind of paint a bigger picture, when I came back into coaching, because I hadn't done anything for like a year and a bit, I felt like I started from scratch again and I was clutching at straws and what was that? What, what did I used to do there and try and bring back some of the ideas I had, but they were all gone. I even found the way I absorbed the information was different. So whereas when I was first working as a coach, you could maybe tell me about your session that you'll talk me through it and I'll kind of, I, I want to visualize it. Now, if you try and tell me about your session, unless it's super basic, I've got no idea what you're talking about. You have to show me something of it. You have to maybe even use a diagram or some sort to kind of get me to understand it. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. So I even found myself, myself in the way that I learned was very different as well. So I kind of started from scratch, basically. So what I, whatever I learned was pretty much gone. But the only thing that kind of really stuck, stuck with me most and more importantly than anything else was that goalkeeping level two taught me the importance of the attention to detail. Now, that's probably the biggest thing that I took with me from moving from not coaching or coaching to not coaching and now back into coaching. So when I'm now preparing for my B license, not only were the practice types that we were trying to use in the goalkeeping level to uh, lending themselves towards the, some of the stuff that we're doing in the B license, not, not around the topics per se, but actually the design of the sessions. It was that piece there, that attention to detail. And I, I'm not sure... I know certainly from my perspective and my experience and the people that I've worked with in the past, that B license was such a, seen as such a prestigious thing at the time um, where you'd go on there, you'd be given this bank of knowledge and now you're a UEFA coach. Um, and that's pretty much, I guess, what it was like. So it was almost, we'll go on there, we're going to pick up all this information. We see all these exemplar sessions from the tutors. It's very much tutor-led environment. You have to coach it in this particular way. It was a very much... And this is where it was a bit of a challenge because a lot of coaches, obviously, I talked about the youth award and the approach for the youth award is very different to what we were going through on the traditional pathway in terms of level one, level two, UEFA B, UEFA A. Um, it was very much command style, directive approach around the technical, tactical stuff when you were talking about the core qualifications. But like I said, the youth award was very much uh, psychological, social, physical, all of that sort of stuff and try and blend that stuff in and I guess putting the player at the centre of the development process. Um, so it was very contra contradictory in some ways because they, on one hand they're telling us to coach like this, on the other hand they're telling us to coach like this in less direction and more guided discovery. Um, so that posed certain challenges for the coaches that had gone down both pathways. Um, so you know we had to kind of justify and ration rationalise what we were doing a little bit more. Um, but that was that was you know that was a, that was a, it was a real grounding experience for me in terms of the B license because um, you know in London there's is a massive massive demand for coaching courses 
Um, so where you'd probably usually get a, you know, a course of the UFB for maybe 22 to 24 people. Um, and there might be two tutors delivering. In London, nine, nine times out of 10, the course is actually a double course where you've got 48 and four tutors. Um, so I was part of that and you know, going through that, there were some people that, and you look at some of the people thinking, how did you get on this course? And some of the people think, oh, this guy's really good. I, you know, I love the way he's done that. Um, so each group was divided up into 12. We had four groups of 12. And from my group, there was only three people that actually passed. The, the pass rate wasn't great at all. One, one tutor failed all of his learners. Every single one of them failed. Um, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, that's tough. That's tough. You haven't passed one of your learners. Now the question is, is that a reflection of them or is that a reflection of you? Yeah, I was going to say, because um, you can go on some courses where everyone, basically everyone passes. It's basically, you know, show up, copy the coach and, and you're good. Obviously there are now where there are going to be some, some people that, that fail, but that that's, I would, alarm bells would ring. If you were a, a school teacher and only three of your students passed that I think that says well that says something either about the the process of being accepted on the course or it says something about how it was delivered but that is um I suppose the fact that you were one of the three that passed is um is a great achievement that you've absorbed is current one thing I would say in my own coaching career, my licenses were extremely spread out. So some mm. of that information is either redundant now or forgotten or just out of date. That was a big thing for me when I did the, the US Federation C license. I'd got a prereq from, from, do, from my coaching background, coaching in England. I should have done the D license. I wish I had done that D license as that stepping stone because it was a lot of the, the terminology and the way they wanted the work presented was new to me. And I found it a real challenge. So it's okay. the fact that you've, the information that you've been able to give me now, the fact that you've, you've remembered this, you've absorbed it, you're applying it. Although you may feel like maybe the some of the licenses you've done were like a, a driving course or trying to pass your driving test, but you're still, you're applying it. There are a lot of coaches where they'll just collect them and not actually get on the field and practice. So if some of the mistake that I've made is take long gaps and you re really, in some instances, you probably should retake some of those courses or at least go back to the, to the material uh, just yeah, keep your methods updated. You make a great point there, and I think you know it, it, this is where the licensed coaches club stuff really came into play because they they were realizing that okay, a lot of people doing these qualifications, like yourself, have such a massive gap between doing one and to the next. What are they actually doing in between to kind of keep themselves modern, current, and updated? For a lot of people, it was nothing. They said, "Right, I've got a level one. I'm a coach now." And I can tell the players what to do because I know everything because I'm a coach now. And that was the mentality. So they kind of brought this in to kind of say, right, every 12 months you need to do, depending on what qualification you've got, you've got to do a set amount of CBD hours. And if you don't do those, your license is invalidated. 
therefore you can't coach. Right. So I guess that was probably the thinking behind it. Um, you know, and I kind of touch on your point earlier about really being able to, I guess, apply some of the stuff that I've, I've, I've picked up along the way. And, you know, it's a great point, but I think it's also important to highlight now, you know, more recently, I've been working in the coach education system myself. And what I've noticed is the massive shift in the courses. So from 2016, they shifted obviously from what was heavily a, a tutor-led environment to now a learner-led or a learner-centered environment rather. So it's no longer a final assessment where you get to, you know, you do your six months, final assessment, age your topic, Paul. Right, let's go. Got to get all these tick boxes. It's, it doesn't work like that anymore. Now it's a case of, right, you're going to come on a qualification. Uh, even the delivery from us as tutors isn't as often. We'll, talk, we'll take you through some of the theory bits, but most of the delivery will be from you guys. And it'll be you explaining to me why you've done things in the way that you've done it based on your environment. So part of the assessment, if you like, is you put in a case study together where you look at, right, what's the environment I'm working in? What's the age group? What format of the game? Player profiles. So what are these strengths and areas of development for each individual player? And based on those strengths, areas of development for each individual player, in line with the club philosophy, in line with my own coaching philosophy, here's how I work. Here's what it looked like on session one. This is what I took away from it. And this is why session two is going to look like this and so on and so forth. So you'd have to kind of do that for training and games across the period of eight weeks. And that would form as part of your competency-based assessment for the, for the current level two and now with the UEFA B and also the UEFA A. So kind of to kind of paint a bigger picture around where the pathway has gone now um, for maybe some of your listeners and even yourself, if you're not too familiar with how it is now. Yeah, I've seen there's been um, it's evolved over here as well. The uh, although some coaches may be frustrated that it's not just a a week long course, it is spread over weeks and sometimes months. Mm. But that's how that's how people learn. People don't mm. learn if something's rammed down the throat in five days and then you run a session with typically. It, you'd run the session and it was the participants that would play. I've made mistakes where you've got, maybe you've got a 40 year old man playing center back or you've got, and you just can't get your point across. So you, you can only, whereas now they're actually being in your own environment, obviously using a lot of video now is popular. Um, that's been a, a great tool where to actually film yourself and see yourself coaching, hear what you say, which is, you know, different, just trying to be modern ways to learn. That's one thing I've noticed about you, Yas, is that you're, um, you might have joked about being on championship manager, but I do believe that the, the, the modern coach is, is computer savvy, is, is up to date with, with, uh, with modern teaching and learning yeah, I think that's a fantastic point, Paul. And I think more, more importantly than that is the underlying reason why we have to be like that because that's what the players that we're working with are like. Yeah, well, that, 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 is, that is a good point. And that's probably why you're... Um, social media is not going away, although we may be frustrated that players are always on their phones or they're lacking social skills because they mm. can't make eye contact and hold a conversation. But 
we can't just ignore it. This is a, it's a great way to be able to communicate with them, show those short video clips or yeah. things like this, like podcasts or Instagram stories, little things like that, even to some degree, something like a Snapchat or a TikTok video, something that's going to grab their attention. It's, uh, although it might be sometimes I might be somewhat embarrassed that I'm looking at, at those kind of social media channels to think of ways to engage with players. But it's also actually, you could spend a lot of time wasting time on that, those kind of things, but it's also a brilliant way to, you know, to make contact with those players. So you do make a, a valid point. It is about being valid and current. Gone are the days of, well, this is how my coach did it. Look, as times evolve, what you'll see is that if we don't make the, those changes, we're going to get left behind. If we want to stay, you know, stay relevant to the players that we're working, we need to be, we need to bring ourselves to their level. It's not about bringing, you know, trying to get them to think, getting around to our way of thinking. Um, and that's the one thing I've definitely learned through my journey. And I, I guess I've been fortunate in what, in some ways, and you know, people often say, well, what age groups do you like working with? But I like working with uh, slightly older players, uh, you know, in the youth development pathway and maybe even senior players, but, I kind of maybe I'd consider myself a specialist in kind of that 14 to kind of 23 age. Um, naturally, you know, just that's always predominantly been the age groups I work with. I spent a lot of time working in college and university football, I spent a lot of time working in youth development um, and even academy football with those slightly older age groups. So for me, it's a, I find myself being able to, because of my age and because I'm still kind of, you know, at that kind of generation maybe slightly older than them, I can bring myself down to their level. And I think that's a really important part. And that's why and I think some clubs are doing some fantastic work in, even in terms of not just bringing themselves down to the level in terms of understanding and being able to, I guess, use the same uh, social social medias and all these other, other platforms that these young players may engage with, but also even in creating similarities in, in, in the coaching workforce as well. Now you've got clubs over here like Fulham, West... Uh, Fulham, Wolverhampton Wanderers, you've got the likes of uh, Arsenal, um, you know, we've got a lot of young players who are now becoming, you know, the landscape is much more diverse as it, you know, compared to what it was in the past. And they've also fallen in line with that in terms of their workforce as well. You know, they've, they've got coaches who look like the players that they're working with. And I think that's another massive point as well. And, you know, the, if my journey's taught me anything, it's about meeting the players halfway and you can't always do it your way as the coach. It's got to be sometimes that they're buying and I think you get more trust that way as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point that you make. So from, from there, to progress to that, um, to the A license, that, that the big one, the FA, UEFA yeah. A license, that's the, a real big achievement in, in your coaching career. What was the process like in, in actually getting yeah, accepted yeah. on that FA course? It was quite, it was quite interesting because, um, you know, I was working at uh, I was working in grassroots football when I started my B license. Midway through the B license, I managed to get a, a, an opportunity at an academy. Um, so I hadn't even finished my B license at the time, but I was you know I managed to get the job in the academy. Finished my B license a couple of months into being there, and straight away, if there's advice for anyone looking to get on a course like this, go and get yourself a foot in the door with an academy. It makes the process a whole lot easier for you. I'm not saying you're guaranteed to get on, but it makes it a whole lot easier. I mean, I know coaches that have been applying for four, five, six years to try and get in this FA, FA qualifications. 
getting no luck. Uh, more often than not, it's because they haven't met the you know they're not they're not high priority because of they're not working with the right age groups potentially. Or unfortunately for them, there's a lot of other coaches who are maybe or more appropriate on that particular application process, which is often the case. Um, now for me, I got that role in an academy, um, and then I literally I remember finishing my B license and within you know they give you the action plan and this is the other part of it the action plan says go away and do x amount of hours before you move on to the next one but the problem with that is they never actually give you any context little did they know is yeah I'm, I'll go away and do 50 hours if that's what you want me to do but 50 hours for me based on what I do on a day-to-day -day and the amount of coaching I do that's only three weeks I've got 50 hours in three weeks now had the tutor taken the time to maybe understand it, it might have been a different, it might have been more specific about the feedback, but it is what it is. And like I can't allude back to earlier, I'm always one that, yeah, I'm going to take what I'm learning now and I'm going to implement it, but I also want to know what's next. Right. Um, so got that role in the academy and within six months, applied for my B license, my A license and got on first time round. Um, so I consider myself very fortunate in that respect. Um, but then that was when, I guess, the coach education probably started to shift. So this is around 2016 now, uh, gone to the A licence and it's no longer, right, final assessment process and all of that. It's actually now similar to what I just mentioned a second ago. It's an ongoing process. It's over a longer period of time. It's not a, a two week long course where you go and you get all this knowledge crammed into your brain and then you go and deliver a session. And you know, if, if it's a session and a topic that you're comfortable with, happy days if it's not then you're thinking okay what am i going to do here so it wasn't that so i guess it was an ongoing process and i guess throughout through that process that's when i probably had my biggest stage of uh, i guess uh, development as a coach um you started learning more about how to work closely and work together with other with other coaches but actually collaborating rather than uh taking turns if that makes sense um go on sorry do you also work on on you as a you as a coach really how you would present yourself i know you would mentioned as well previously about separating yourself it's not just necessarily about being able to step on a field and run a session it's about how you would say go into a club run a club or work with assistants does it yeah. touch on on you being a person preparing you for a, a uefa yeah. a type role a, a, a little bit in the sense that you know you kind of cover the course content is designed around the expectations working as a UEFA A license coach. Predominantly and previously, it would have been heavily geared around working in a senior environment or that of a, a professional development phase. So you're in your under 18s, under 23s kind of environment. That's traditionally what it would be kind of geared towards. So I guess it gives you some aspects of that, so possibly in terms of delivering presentations, delivering uh, management meetings and stuff like that. Very, it doesn't touch on it too much, but there is a bit of that stuff in there. Um, but there is a lot, again, a lot of stuff about collaborating with multiple disciplinary staff. So, you know, your physical performance staff, your strength and conditioning coaches, your physios and the rest of it, you know. Um, so that there is a bit of that stuff in there. So that journey was quite interesting for me. So that, um, I guess, spanned over the maybe the, the period of, I might say about nine months. So, you know, nine months later, um, and during that process, your tutor will come out to you in your environment, come and watch you coach in your environment to see what you're doing. And again, it will, it will fall back onto like a case study of some sort where you kind of rationalize and justify why are you working the way you're working and the reasons behind it. So um, over about eight or nine month process, um, I managed to get, I finished my, my, my UEFA A. Now during that time, 
I'd also enrolled onto my goalkeeping B license because I, I was still had this goal. I wanted to lo- learn more about the goalkeeping position, not because I'm a goalkeeping coach, but I just wanted to learn more about it because I feel the more I know, the more I can be effective. Um, and then kind of just, it just goes hand in hand. So I finished the UEFA A license, managed to get do goalkeeper B license kind of simultaneously. Um, and then next after that, move clubs, go to another club now. Um, and I've managed to get onto the Advanced Youth Award, which is basically, uh, I guess, the equivalent of a UEFA A license, but working with a youth, youth place specifically. So I think some, some uh, governing bodies and you know, federations will have it as, the elite youth license um, or the, the level four youth license uh, is still UEFA qualified, uh, um, ratified qualification. Um, and I kind of done that and that gave us a bit more insight and a bit more uh, focus around specific age groups. So you could do it in the foundation phase, which is your, traditionally your nine to 11s, your youth development phase is traditionally 12 to 16s. And then obviously your professional development phase, which is usually 17s to 23s kind of thing. Um, but then also had a separate section where you can kind of work across the board, but maybe specifying with goalkeepers. Um, so it was basically like, you know, a, a more in-depth version of the youth modules, essentially. Uh, managed to finish that. Um, again, all fantastic experiences. Learned, picked up loads of different things off the courses. But I think, as you can probably relate, a lot of the stuff that you do learn on the course isn't really the stuff that you, the course content covers. It's more the conversations you have with the people around you. Um, and you pick up loads, small little an- anecdotal bits that you kind of, you, you know, you peel off there, you peel off there, and before you know it, you've got your own, I guess, magic potion that you want to kind of go on and work with. Yeah, that's, uh, it, it is good. I, I hope I don't contradict myself here, but it is good to bounce ideas off of coaches in those course settings. And you can, uh, some of the friendships and contacts that you can make are, are probably worth the same as actual the, the actual license itself. Um, and that really leads me then to to your work with the the coaches network. So now that in fact you'd send you'd excuse me you'd mentioned there about getting into the academy as you were about to complete your B license. So that opened that that door. It seems mm-hmm. now that completing that A license it they opened even bigger doors for for more opportunities. What was your reason behind wanting to start the the coaches network? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. To be honest with you, something that I, I guess, it's it really, you know, the coaches network as a platform, if you like, was something that started, it's probably started in 2017, to be honest. Um, started off with just me thinking, right, let me just share some ideas and, I, through my experiences working in the academy football, noticed how big the disconnect really was from the grassroots community to that one of the elite game, if you like. Um, so for me, it was right. How can I try and bridge that? I'm looking for a way to bridge that gap, whether that's just getting access to some of the stuff, whether that's getting access to potential opportunities of jobs that might exist in the environment. Um, so that's kind of how it started, and you know, sharing session ideas and having different coaching topics. Um, but the, the, the honest, the honest answer to you, you know is that was the initial idea but I found that it wasn't it wasn't serving its purpose for me um so it, was, it might have been helping some other people but you know I think sharing knowledge is great but it's got to be a two-way process and I didn't feel like I was getting enough out of the process um so I thought right I, I kind of and then you know some some other stuff that I was dealing with at the time so I kind of just put it on the back burner a little bit 
Um, but I'd always had this idea of the podcast. I'm real, you know, I listen to a lot of different podcasts, not coaching specifically all the time, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts. And I've said to myself, I'd love to put a podcast together that was a very educational one, but it wasn't a generic podcast, especially when it comes to coaching, because a lot of it is just about the X's and O's. You don't really get a lot of, uh, I guess, podcasts like this one that we're doing, where we talk about someone's journey and actually pull out the real deeper bits of their journey, if that makes sense, and what you know, what makes them tick and what gets them thinking. Why do they do the things they do? Why do they work and what they learn from all these different things that they've been through? So that was kind of my idea. Um, and the honest answer is we come to lockdown, I'm bored out of my head, absolutely bored out of my head. I'm complaining to my missus doing her head in. And she goes, look, you've had this idea for the podcast. Why don't you just go and do it? We're on lockdown now. I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Started the podcast and I guess in short, what happened was it started off with me and a couple of my mates talking about coaching, different topics that might exist um, within the coaching world. And uh, I guess, and I'm sure you can relate, you know, you probably, if not through this project, some other projects that you've done in the past, if you've got a passion for something, um, you can't rely on other people to have the same passion. You can't expect them to have the same passion for it as you because it's your passion, it's your, you know, your dream, your ambition. Um, so I found myself becoming too reliant on other people to try and make this work. Um, and I guess it wasn't quite to the standard that I wanted it to be at, which is not, it's no, no slight on them in any ways. It was good content. I just don't think it was necessarily, I wasn't necessarily too comfortable because I was having to rely on other people to make it happen. Right. Um, so I kind of shifted the idea a little bit and said, you know what? I'm, I just gave my, one of my mates a call. We we're just talking. I thought, you know, you've, I've just got this idea. I'm going to interview you. I'm going to interview you and we're going to see how it goes from there. Interviewed him and I haven't looked back since. Three, four minutes into that conversation, I've interviewed him. This is definitely, this is where I need to go with it. This is the direction I'm going in with it. Um, so the idea is, you know, threefold. One, I wanted to, I guess, cure my boredom. <laughs> Two, uh, I wanted to learn more, be more, you know, be more productive, I guess, the time that we are, um, I've got in this lockdown or and beyond now, depending on where it, where it goes next. But, Thirdly, I wanted to be, I wanted to use it as an opportunity to network. Um, and then one step after the other, you know, a few weeks in, I'm, I, you know, I started interviewing different people and I'm thinking, well, I've got, I've got, some, I've got some decent guests. If you're from, you know, especially if you're from the UK and you're in, in the youth development space, some of these names, yeah, they're, they're, they're quite big names. Um, you know, the likes of Chris Ramsey, the likes of Tony Carr, the likes of um, Mark Sampson, the likes of um, Dan Machichi and, you know, a few others. Um, I'm thinking, wow, I've managed to get quite a few of these early on in, the, in, in this process, which is fantastic for me. Um, and then I kind of just, within a, you know, I noticed that, you know, in the past, I'm not sure if you still use it, but you know, using the Anchor app. And I think the Anchor app was great because it used to give you the little, yeah. little countries that listen to, your, listen to your podcast. And I'm getting some random countries and I'm thinking, what's going on over here? I never expected someone in Bermuda or Suriname to be listening to my podcast. Um, I'm getting random countries on there. I think, okay, cool. This is going, it's, it's, it's doing all right then, eh? Um, and then I thought, okay, let me get some more people on. And just going through the motions. And before you knew it, I'm, I'm in I'm in December or August to start with, and I started branching out, getting different types of guests, starting to look in wider than football and looking at maybe some of the multiple disciplinary, so physical performance staff, psychologists, you know, you name it started branching out, getting a bit bigger, and I'm, I'm now getting up to like 23, 24 different countries around the world. Um, I get to December now, um, you know, kind of at some point along that process, me and my wife had a conversation, and, you know, she's been my biggest fan, and number one supporter throughout, 
we kind of said, oh, I want, oh, I think this is going to get bigger, you know, I think this is really going to get bigger. It's starting to grow. Uh, but I want to get some bit, even bigger guests. And, you know, I just like really enough names on this list. And she's like, you know, let's make a list. And I was like, okay, cool. I want this person, this person, this person, this person. Just putting them down. Don't know how I'm going to make it happen, but it's, I'm just going to put them down. It's, it's almost like, like a mood board in some ways, a vision board. And it's a couple of those names with some big people. And I've still got some big names on there. I'm obviously looking to hit, but two of the biggest ones I've hit so far, Sol Campbell and, I've, and then Shaquille O'Neal. I was so, going to mention, I'd written down some of the names. I'd, um, yeah. Once we initially made contact, I'd stop. I was listening to the Simon Grayson episode, uh, and I'm, I'm reading these names off to my wife. I said, yeah, I'm going to speak to uh, this man, Yas, in London. Um, my wife has no idea who Luke Chadwick, Simon Grayson is, Mark Walter. Yeah. But like everyone knew who Sha Shaquille O'Neal was. So there was, how were you able to to get these guests on your podcast i think first and foremost paul and it's going to sound cliche it's just believe it's going to happen i made that list and i put these people's names down on the list and i said i'm going to make this happen i don't know how but they're going to be on my show um and where i guess some of the confidence really started coming from because early on as soon as i started putting a list together i started just reaching out to people finding ways to connect to different people because um there's this this principle of the only six, uh, I think, I think uh, don't, don't quote me on this, but it's almost like you're six degrees away from the uh, from from your from your dream. So, if it's not, there'll be someone within six steps of you that knows how to get to that person. So, if I'm not reaching out to Paul to find out who Paul who Paul knows down over there, Paul will know someone who knows someone who can get me closer to them. And it's just about ex exploring that. But then, you know, I guess. The, to, to some of these guests, if I'm honest, it's not even been my work in some cases. Sometimes it's been my, been my wife. My wife is, you know, I guess, done her own little sort of networking. And this is like a joint project that me and my wife are working on. And she's managed to, she managed to get Soul Campbell. She's managed to get, um, you know, Shaquille O'Neal. And I remember, I remember the day where we found out that Shaquille O'Neal was actually going to do it. I was on my way to work, I get a call from my wife. And she's all like, you know, a bit jittery. I'm like, what's wrong? <laughs> she goes, you'll never believe what's just happened. I was like, go on, tell me, tell me about it. And I guess, you know, at this point, because I'm, I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm thinking, all right, well, what's happened? She goes, I've just got FaceTime with Shaquille O'Neal. I'm thinking, wow, okay, right. And I, I mean, I don't really get starstruck, but she was obviously thinking, like, I've just got a FaceTime. Make a big deal about it. Make a big deal about it. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, it's nothing to make a big deal about. Right? Let's forget about the FaceTime. What did he say? Is he going to do it? And that's all I was interested in. I wasn't really thinking, oh, yeah, you just got off the phone to Shaquille O'Neal and, and that. None of that was important. What did he say? Is he going to do it? And she goes, yeah, he said he's going to do it. Right. So this is like October time. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, get to October. Um, we're now setting a date in place. And, you know, to make a long story short, we set a time. It was like 10 o'clock. And then he kind of wasn't on time. They got to 1, 2, 3 a.m. Me and her went to sleep. And we got a text around 4 a.m. saying, let's go. I'm ready. I'm thinking, all right, we've just missed Shaquille O'Neal because we've gone to sleep, we've woken up and seen the text, yeah. and let's go. Um, long and short of it, kind of left it for a few weeks, kind of bounced back, and you know, we're still bouncing back and forth. And we knew that I was very confident that he was going to do it. It was just finding the right time. Um, and after some back and forth over over a few weeks and months, eventually, we get we, we get through to we we, we 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 touch base with him on Christmas Day, and he's like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're gonna do. It. We're still gonna do. It. I'm definitely gonna do it. 
Um, he said, I'm not expecting this in any way, shape or form. He just said, give me a couple of hours. I'll be back home and we'll get it done. This is on Christmas Day. Right. As in just gone. Right. Right. And I said to him, it's going to happen. It's going to happen tonight. And that's when he, then he said, yeah, I'm going to do it for you guys today. Christmas Day, we're going to do it. Um, to the point where if you actually listen to the episode, you can actually hear his family members in the background because it's Christmas Day. And all, you know, at one point, his mom comes across and he's offering him food and it, it's, it's mad. Um, so eventually, you know, we get to Boxing Day. It's 10, 8, 10 p.m. Christmas Day, nothing. 11 p.m., nothing. 12, 12 midnight, nothing. Get to about 1 a.m., 1.15. And my wife is wiped to make off and said, it's not going to happen. I said, listen, just relax. It's going to happen. Just be patient. Wipes her makeup off, goes in the shower, whatever, gets ready, go, she literally gets into bed. Two minutes later, she gets a text. Let's go. Ready. So I said, you got to get up. We've got we to do this. We can't miss it again. Um, this is the chance. So went and did it. The rest is history. You know, I had, a, had, a, had an amazing conversation with Shaquille O'Neal uh, to the point where we're now regularly speaking once every couple of weeks. We're still touching base to the point where he's actually saying to me, come, I want to do another one. Let's do another one. I really enjoyed that with you. Um, which is fantastic, obviously, feedback for me to kind of work off. Um, and then the rest of his history after that, you know, uh, he, he, he'd done the podcast and put it out there. People didn't believe me. Even when I put it, I said, I've just interviewed Chicago. No, yeah, yeah, good for you. Sure. They thought it was all clickbait. And I'm thinking, no, I'm being serious. I've actually just interviewed <laughs> Chicago. No. Um, and I guess people only really started believing it when he actually, I guess, he put a video out saying, hey, guys, I'm Shaq, um, NBA Hall of Famer. And I've just done an episode with Coach Yas on the Coaches Network podcast. Check it out. Or something along the lines of that. That's when I guess it started to hit people. Wow. Okay. You actually interviewed Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, and I'm thinking, I did tell you. <laughs> um, so I guess, you know, that's that's kind of that really. You know, from there, it's, you know, over. But that kind of overshadowed the fact that actually on Christmas Day itself, I released an episode of Saul Campbell, which people can't even, people that don't even realise because... I've now just dropped this this whole you know this bomb on everyone. I've just interviewed Shaquille O'Neal. They've almost forgotten that Saul Campbell even came out. Um, so I guess it's it's, it's interesting because um, again, Saul Campbell is one of those people who doesn't really do a lot of interviews. So, but even for me to get that one over the line was was a massive achievement for me. Um, and I guess you know Saul Campbell at the end of the year was on thirty countries. Um, after the Shaquille O'Neal episode came out. I've gone from being in 30 countries to 69 in a matter of weeks. So, you know, the podcast is now in 69 different countries around the world. Um, it's growing. Um, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been an amazing journey so far and hope long may it continue. Yeah, well, it, it's, um, this might be a little bit of a cliche, but it does open, it does open doors. The fact then that you're on, you, you know that you wait for a licensed coach and then, but then you get that one, star guest and then people actually go back and listen to other episodes you may um you may even have better episodes for, for well, let's just say i've got a few i've got a few in the pipeline i've got some great episodes in the past that people aren't even aware of so i think you know definitely they should be taking a look at look back at some of the episodes i've done some of them are truly inspirational for me as well um like I said, I'm speaking to a range of different people from different organisations, different backgrounds and different journeys. So there is a lot of golden nuggets to kind of pull out of there and some real insights in the industries that they're working in. Um, I'm working on a few projects now where I'm looking to get people from different sports and potentially even different industries. Um, as well as, you know, I've just started doing some live live, live episodes where I guess listeners can have an opportunity to kind of tap in and get a Q&A uh, going at the end of the episode with whichever guest I've got on. Um, 
So there's definitely, uh, you know, there's definitely growth in it. It's definitely opening different doors and giving me different ideas off the back of getting Shaquille O'Neal, um, which again, I, you know, I interviewed Shaquille O'Neal. I don't know anyone else has interviewed Shaquille O'Neal. So for me, it's like, wow, okay, cool. But I'm not going to settle on that. I'm saying, right, I've done that. Now it's on to the next one. So who knows who's next? No, I'm, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, if you're looking at this, you're next, man. Yeah, well, you, uh, like you said, it, you just never know. Don't be a, don't be afraid to, to ask. And if, again, these may always be be somewhat cliches, but you know, if you if you don't believe it, it won't happen. Hundred percent. So it's uh, it is it is a big thing, and and the fact then, just because someone is a multimillionaire or famous, or in the public eye. There are a lot of people in lockdown that still need someone to talk to, they're, and they're they're just as, in some instances, just as bored as you and I have been, say, during lockdown. So, again, if you, I think it's a good message for for anything, not just coaching soccer or making a podcast. That, and it seems to be do being a reoccurring thing in my podcast and and the coaches I listen to, believing in yourself. Um, have a clear identity of, of what you want from from the game of soccer, and not only it's not only just about you; it's what you can provide for others as well. It's, it's what can you do for others? What is your purpose to to help children, young adults in the game? One hundred percent. Yes, this has been been excellent. Um, a great insight into your coaching career and your your way for pathway and a little bit into learning about the coaches network if people wanted to to reach out to you and find out more information what's the best way that they could contact you yeah no thank you for that point it's been a pleasure for me as well a really insightful conversation just to kind of hear your perspective on some of the things as well but um for anyone that wants to get in touch with me you can get in touch with me on instagram at the coaches network um i'm on twitter at the coaches net um, or you can get me on email, which is the coaches network yl at gmail.com. Um, but most importantly, you know, if you guys want to hear, hear a lot more of my stuff, um, I mean, you know, head over to your favorite platform, whether it be Apple Podcasts, whether it be Spotify, and hit the coaches network podcast. There's you know, some great stuff on there. Um, but look, Paul, thank you again for having me on the show, man. I've really enjoyed the conversation with you as well. You're welcome, and I will share all those links in the show notes. Amazing. All right. Thanks, Coach Yass. It was a delight to talk with Coach yesterday and learn more about the soccer landscape in London. I also found the knowledge he shared about the FA Youth modules and the UEFA A and B licenses exciting. I also have a lot of respect that he was able to share some of his adversities and how he overcome these challenges to obtain that prestigious UEFA A license from the English FA and is now working as a coach educator. We all don't have to be a cookie cutter coach. It's important we find our niche and stand out as a coach. There are hundreds, if not thousands, applying for acceptance on coaching licenses or applying for that coaching role. Make sure as a coach you are gaining valuable experiences that enhance your role and marketability as a coach, but by still maintaining your integrity.
Thank you for listening to the PK Soccer Podcast. Don't forget that you can follow me on Twitter at Paul Kelshaw, Instagram at Paul Kelshaw, like my Facebook page at PK Soccer Inc., or send an email, paulkelshaw at pksoccer.org. I would also be grateful if you could give the podcast a review and a rating and share with your fellow coaches and friends. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.